Section twenty one of Six Radical Thinkers by John McCunn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter six The Political Idealism of Thomas Hill Green. Part one Bentham reviled Oxford. Neither he nor his disciples expected any good thing to come out of it, least of all anything radical. But time has its ironies for oxford it was reserved to find as some at any rate think a more adequate philosophy than bentham's for that democratic citizenship of which bentham was the prophet bentham's philosophy was a fighting philosophy when it was given to the world democracy was still an aspiration and a struggle what democracy needed was a rallying cry rather than a reasoned justification it found that in bentham the paramountcy of public good, the iniquity of monopoly, the deposition of privileged incapacity, the exaction of responsibility to the last tittle from all persons in authority. These were things which struggling radicalism needed, and it was partly at any rate because it found them in Benthamism that it fought its battles so well. But time had passed. Democracy had won the franchise had been twice extended in eighteen thirty two and eighteen sixty seven it was shortly to be still further widened in eighteen eighty four new and virile classes and interests had been admitted to power municipal self-government had been inaugurated and had begun to run its long and fruitful course religious disabilities had been done away the poor law had been reformed free trade had been carried social amelioration had begun in factory legislation national education was at last coming to the front in a word democratic citizenship had become a fact it had its instrument in popular government it had its objective in a larger a fuller a more concrete ideal of the public good than was possible for the men of the first quarter of the nineteenth century it was then roughly speaking in the sixties he was born in eighteen thirty six that green came upon the scene it was when democratic citizenship had become actually and potentially a recognized fact of the first magnitude when it had passed from struggle to success from aspiration to fruition that green then an oxford tutor little known if at all beyond his university began to propound his civic idealism thereby bringing to citizenship a new dignity and elevation and it may be added fresh grounds of confidence and hope the political philosophy of bentham at the beginning of the nineteenth century was still a prophecy the civic idealism of green toward the end of the century was the justification of a prophecy fulfilled this was a service to his country which green was peculiarly fitted to render political and proclivity even from his school days the sense of public duty was in him it grew with his growth it became central in his character and thought it fed upon what it found upon his admirations of the statesmen like vane and cromwell in the past like john bright in the present upon the heritage of the civic spirit of the ancient world as he found it in his study of greek history and in the perennial fountain-heads of plato and aristotle 
in whom so much of his work as an oxford tutor lay not least upon the resolute discharge of civic duty in oxford both as the first college tutor who sat in the city council and otherwise but above all it came as befits a thinker as the application of the philosophical idealism which he held with the restrained but intense passion of a religious faith not that one would suggest that this philosophical idealism came to him after the fashion in which a great religious conception sometimes seizes and holds the mind he was far different from mazzini he was a man of analysis not of intuitions his philosophy came to him neither by flashes of insight nor by eclectic borrowing from other minds he thought it out with a laborious tenacity and always but especially as the years went on he was cautious of putting his foot down but when he put it down he planted it firmly he always created the impression says his biographer of one who had his feet upon the ground nor can there be any doubt that the right word for his philosophy is idealism green's idealism however is not what many persons suppose idealism to be and what in minds with less respect for experience it sometimes becomes idealism is often supposed to be the type of thought that stands for the reality of an ideal world other than this actual world of human life and experience it is supposed to see visions and dream dreams it is believed to regard facts with an unbecoming disrespect and even somehow to have convinced itself that matter does not exist and indeed it sometimes itself as in the idealism of plato and carlyle assumes the inverted form that turns round upon the actual world only to belittle it for its despicable actualities there is nothing of this in the idealism of green no man says nettleship was ever less of a visionary has he not said it himself not the admission of an ideal world of guess and aspiration alongside of the empirical but the recognition of the empirical itself as ideal such is his account of what idealism is that only valid idealism as he elsewhere says which trusts not to a guess about what is beyond experience but an analysis of what is within it his own idealism illustrates this definition it is not content with affirming the reality of those spiritual forces we call ideas for visionaries have never failed in that it insists also that ideas are the very stuff and substance of experience and that they are to be found if ever in the facts be they the phenomena of nature or of human life to green as to aristotle it is the concrete actualities of experience that are real but then to him as to his great greek forerunner with whom he had so much in common the concrete fact is real because it is spiritual it was idealism of this kind that green applied to politics it harmonized with his strongly concrete human sympathies it joined hands with his readiness to recognize the worth of actual men and actual institutions 
it chimed in with his instinctive respect for the ordinary good neighbor and honest citizen it emboldened him to believe in respectability and it did all this as we shall see more fully in the sequel because it led him to discern in his fellow-citizens as in his country's institutions the vehicles of ideas the organs of spiritual forces this is what he believed he could prove and it is in this belief that we have his distinctive characteristic many writers of the century carlyle emerson mazzini ruskin tennyson had borne witness to the reality of spiritual forces many had paid their tribute to the significance of institutions and to the worth and dignity of the individual man and some of whom mazzini was one had done their best to draw these two things together and thereby to spiritualize the so-called secularities of politics green's peculiar merit was to furnish proof proof that all that makes for freedom and progress in the lives of citizens comes from the presence to them and in them of ideas there is a striking passage in the end of his luminous lectures on the english commonwealth upon sir harry vane whose lofty political mysticism had evidently a strong fascination for him the enthusiasm of vane he here writes died that it might rise again it was sown in the weakness of feeling that it might be raised in the intellectual comprehension which is power the people of england he said on the scaffold have been long asleep i doubt they will be hungry when they awake they have slept we may say another two hundred years if they should yet awake and be hungry they will find their food in the ideas which with much blindness and weakness he vainly offered them cleared and ripened by a philosophy of which he did not dream the philosophy green here referred to was undoubtedly that of hegel but the words are not truer of hegel than of himself the professed object of hegel's philosophy he once said was to find formulae adequate to the action of reason as exhibited in nature and human life in art and religion hegel's object was his object to find reason in human society to show that the life of citizenship was in its essence a reasonable life reasonable in its respect for institutions and accomplished facts reasonable also in its sanguine hopes aspirations and ideals this was the central purpose and sober passion of his life this being so the problem that green presents to the reader is manifest the empirical fact that lay before him as it lies before us was democratic citizenship and our prime concern is to see if we can follow him in the conviction that an examination of this fact really does justify the contention that civic duty rightly regarded is nothing less than a spiritual function or if we prefer so to phrase it that the life of citizenship is a mode of divine service nor need one hesitate to repeat that though no man ever shrank more from high-sounding professions or laid less claim for himself to loftier motives than actuated his neighbours green carried the spirit of religious devotion into his politics 
it may safely be affirmed that a view like this is not common in democratic circles it may seem to savour of extravagance thus to claim the secular for the spiritual for the secularities of politics are manifest they are only too much with us who is the politician who does not know the parties and programmes the caucuses committee rooms polling booths the compromises expediences trickeries and is it of this thing that one can venture to speak in terms of religion or of spiritual philosophy yet if we follow green we must for though it may be admitted that green always prone to choose words well within the limits of his convictions might not have expressed himself in such terms as have been used above there can be no doubt that he stands or falls by the doctrine that the political life of men and nations is a spiritual revelation and not less so but more when it becomes democratic green's radicalism for radicalism it is contrasts in many points with that of the earlier radical thinkers whether these be the utilitarians or the apostles of the rights of man and in nothing more decisively than in his frank and full recognition of the force of circumstances one of his earliest essays was upon the force of circumstances and its whole purport is to show how even the genius or the hero however masterful his inspirations however strong his will must sooner or later reckon with this force of circumstances the strong man may by force of will transmute circumstances but he must not he cannot ignore them if he does his will must dash itself in vain against inexorable limits green illustrates this in those notable lectures on the english commonwealth they began with a criticism of carlyle on the ground that carlyle does imperfect justice to the solidity of the forces with which cromwell and the puritans had to contend and they go on to trace the cause of the brevity of the success of the political heroes of that great popular movement one can see in every line that green is profoundly in sympathy with the men their ideal of a religious citizenship was his own he declares the cromwellian protectorate to have been the great spring of subsequent political life in england he asserts that the spirit of independency which inspired vane has more than any other ennobled the plebeian elements of english life to the sincerity the patriotism the nobility of aim the religious inspiration the iron will of these puritans he pays unstinted tribute but he is no less firm in pointing out how even the strongest of them failed because in their enthusiasms and ecstasies their mysticisms and fanaticisms they ignored or underestimated the conditions under which their work had to be done in other words because they refused to come to terms with the traditions the habits the common feelings and interests even the prejudices which stood rooted in the national character they would fain have done in a few years what as in the light of the sequel we know right well it needed centuries to accomplish nor was theirs an unique experience it was but one illustration of the perennial tragedy of life which comes of the inevitable conflict between the creative will of man 
and the hidden wisdom of the world which seems to thwart it the higher enthusiasm he says in a pregnant passage which breathed in cromwell and vane was not puritanic or english merely it belonged to the universal spiritual force which as ecstasy mysticism quietism philosophy is in permanent collision with the carnal interests of the world and which if it conquers them for a moment yet again sinks under them that it may transmute them more thoroughly to its service it is worth while to dwell at some length on green's interpretation of the commonwealth for as nettleship well says these four lectures bring out the whole man green was a reformer and a lover of reformers he was a radical and an admirer of radicals but as one of his contemporaries said he was a radical of a very peculiar kind he was at any rate far enough from subversive for from first to last he held two convictions for which we do not usually go to the oracles of radicalism one is that he who would reform the institutions of his country must qualify himself for the task by opening his eyes to the force of circumstances the other that no reform however triumphant for the time it may appear and even when backed up by men of heroic mould is likely to endure if it has not come to terms with the national sentiment character and institutions there are some ardent spirits to whom a doctrine like this is far from welcome they do not like to be reminded that there are limits before which reformers must bend or against which they must dash themselves in vain they prefer the note of earlier radicalism the radicalism of the revolution or the utilitarian crusade with its confident faith in new beginnings swift political transformations legislative shortcuts to happiness and the rapid realizability of ideals and some do not hesitate to say of green as some have said of hegel that his political doctrine plays into the hands of reaction by damping the fires of reform and providing conservatives with convenient apologies for inveterate abuses but it is entirely possible for a philosophy to be radical without ceasing to be conservative were this not so it would at any rate be a misnomer to call green's teaching radical for in certain aspects green is profoundly conservative not only did he preach the force of circumstances it is within the truth to say that the subversion or even the shaking of institutions is the last thing he would have desired the return to nature of rousseau and the revolutionists was in his eyes a reversion to barbarism it was the watchword of men fatally blind to the resources of civilization that lay ready at their hand and it was doubly to be distrusted because it glorified sentiment and depreciated reason his own attitude to the social system is fundamentally different it is not a spirit of antipathy or even of discontent it can only be called a spirit of profound gratitude words can hardly be stronger than those in which he extols the heritage into which the citizen of a civilized state is born in great books and great examples in the gathering fullness of spiritual utterance which we trace through the history of literature 
in the self-denying love which we have known from the cradle in the moralizing influence of civil life in the closer fellowship of the christian society in the sacramental ordinances which represent that fellowship in common worship in the message of the preacher through which amid diversity of stammering tongues one spirit still speaks here god's sunshine is shed abroad without us end of section twenty one